We have many things we'd like to do in the next one hour. But let's take a few minutes in Philippians chapter 3 and consider a contrast and challenge that the Apostle Paul gives us that is fitting for this new year that we have entered. A few minutes ago, I began with Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, where we have the words, For our conversation is in heaven. And we want to understand exactly what that means in light of chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. I'm thankful that Paul did not mind repeating himself to us. Because learning is by repetition. And in the first verse of this third chapter, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Paul did not consider it a grief thing or a grievous thing to repeat himself. And what we have in Philippians chapter 3 is rather simple. But it describes a contrast between the righteous and the wicked in the church of God. And I hope that as we enter in upon the year 2008, we will remember this contrast and make sure that we are on the side of the Apostle Paul and not on the side of the belly worshipers he is going to condemn. I begin at verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded... God shall reveal even this unto you. Our brother Paul has given his testimony in verses 1 through 14. He has described all of the reputation and resume that he had in the Jews' religion. One of the threats to the early churches were Judaizers who tried to take converted Gentiles and obligate them to the law of Moses, which had been put away. So Paul explains his standing in the flesh as a Jew down through verse 7, but counts all that standing to have been a loss, a waste. He takes up in verse 8 and down through verse 11. He explains that he counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. The Apostle Paul considered the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be an excellent thing. And he was willing to suffer the loss of all things for it. So sure was he of being willing to lose all things, he said, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. In verse 8, Yea, I count them loss, I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The most important thing to Paul was what was the most important thing to Andrew. We have found the Messiah. Paul had found the Messiah, the Savior of his soul, the anointed Lord of David and of the whole universe. And he rejoiced in that Savior. And he wanted to win Christ. He wanted Jesus Christ's approval of his life. He wanted to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives that testimony in verses 8 through 11 where he describes in verse 9 that he wanted to be found in Jesus Christ, not with his own righteousness of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
He continues on by saying that I want to know him experimentally in these ways. I want to know the power of his resurrection because I want to live a resurrected life. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be able to suffer in the same faithful way that he did. He wanted to be made conformable unto his death, being willing to die in service to the God that had saved him. And he says in verse 11, if by any means, and he had just described some of those means, he might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul knew with absolute certainty that he was going to attain to the resurrection of the dead, but it was by these means he laid hold of that fact and proved it to himself and others. And so we have a sentence that runs from 8 through 11 describing Paul's sole ambition, Paul's character of his love for Christ, and nothing else could compare. In verses 12 through 14, he explains, I have not already attained. I can do better. I want to do more. He was frustrated with his present state of accomplishment. He says, I I want to apprehend that for which I am apprehended by Jesus Christ. Jesus saved me for a purpose, and I want to fulfill that purpose completely. He explains he's not perfect yet, and he's forgetting everything that was behind and pressing forward to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and we end verse 14. Paul has given his testimony, verses 1 through 14, and now he's going to appeal to it as an example for our lives. When he says in verse 15, let us therefore... The therefore is drawing a conclusion from the first 14 verses. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, those who are spiritually minded enough to know what the Christian life is about, be thus minded. When he says thus minded, he means have the same mindset that I have and that I just described to you in verses 1 through 14. Let us. And this is what we have come together for today. Let us. Therefore, because of Paul describing himself, and we know Paul being the great apostle to the Gentiles, let us, therefore, be thus minded. If you have any spiritual maturity today, then you know that following the example and the words that we just had in verses 1 through 14 is a wonderful way to live your life. And it's the way we should live our lives. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, Be thus minded. No one's absolutely perfect, and Paul doesn't mean that here. He has just told you in verse 12 that he is not perfect in an absolute sense, but he's using the word in a sense of maturity, and those that are spiritually grown up enough to know that this is the Christian life. Let's have a mindset just like Paul. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Every believer is at a different point in their lives, But if they set Paul as their example to follow him, wherever they're coming short, God will reveal it to them. God will convict them of it and correct the faults in their lives and perfect that which had been planned for them if they are setting Paul as an example and following his course. Verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Nevertheless, sets verse 16 in distinction 
or disjunction from verse 15. What Paul is saying here in verse 16 is, while we're waiting for God to perfect us, and while we admit that believers are at different stages in their lives in knowledge or in practice, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, the things that we've already accomplished and learned and do together, let us continue doing them by the same rule, which is the Word of God, and let us mind the same thing. Let us make sure that we are united. A common theme of Paul in all of his exhortations was that in a church, like the church of the Philippians, they were to be united, have the same rule, have the same mind as they pursued Jesus Christ in those areas where they were already attained to a level together. Paul was ahead of them. Some of them were spiritually minded. Some were stronger than others. But there were many things that these brethren agreed upon, and they were to hold to them by the same rule and have the same mind about them. Brethren, verse 17, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. Verse 17, there's a word there that I hope you'll notice and not just rush over. Brethren, be followers together. Together goes back to that 16th verse where he has said, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. If we are minding the same things, if our unity is in Jesus Christ, if we're following the same rule, the word of God, that means we're together. You know, when a, when a group of individuals are following the same path, the same rule and have the same mind, they are together. And that's how we are to follow the Apostle Paul. We're not to be saying, I'm of Paul, and you're not of Paul yet. As far as we can agree with others who are of Paul, we are to follow together and be a follower of the Apostle. But let's notice the word that should get the most attention from us, and that's the word followers. Brethren, be followers together of me. God not only gave the Apostle Paul to teach us and to write epistles... God gave the Apostle Paul as a living example of how we are to live. And so we are to follow him. You know, there are some, I'm sure they were at Corinth, that said we are of Christ. And they mocked those that said they were of Paul. If the truth be told, we should be of Christ and of Paul, and we should follow Christ the way Paul did. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, and you can't follow him. He said for you to be subject to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. How are you going to do that? We come to the New Testament epistles that were written for us Gentiles, and we follow Christ as Paul followed him. Paul didn't give any regard to the Pharisees. He preached against them his whole life. Brethren, be followers together of me. It's wonderful to have a living example in the New Testament that we are to follow. And what he's really pushing at right here is what he's just described about himself in verses 1 through 14. That I may know him. That I may win Christ. That I may win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not cumbered down with weights that kept him from running his race well. Nor was he cumbered down by a loose approach to the sins that easily beset him. He had cast both aside... He kept his body under. 
that when he preached to others, he himself should not be a castaway. And he's asking us, he's challenging us, he's telling us, along with the Philippians, follow me in the way that I follow Christ. And he says in the second half of that 17th verse, mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. The apostle is teaching the Philippians that in their church at Philippi, there were church members that were more spiritually minded than others. There were church members that were more like the Apostle Paul than others. And those church members more like Paul were to be the ones that they esteemed the highest in the church. And they were the ones to be followed. There are others he's going to mention in the next verse that shouldn't be followed and shouldn't be esteemed. The most popular members in a church should be those closest to the Apostle Paul. Not for any other measure. And those least, like the Apostle Paul, should be the least popular members in a church. We are not talking about comely and uncomely members at this point. We are talking about spiritual or carnal members at this point. Comely or uncomely depends on the number of gifts or the greatness of the gifts that God gives. And he gives them in a varied fashion among church members. But here, Paul is pointing out, mark them. It is not wrong for you parents to tell your children which church members are most like the Lord Jesus Christ and most like the Apostle Paul and to follow them. Mark them. That means to identify them, name them, and set them up as examples for the church to follow. Brethren, be followers together of me. Well, Paul, how can we follow you easily? Mark those which walk so. Those that in the church that follow the example of Paul, mark them and follow them. They'll give you a living example on how to talk, how to live, and how to be a Christian right in your very own midst. In Psalm 37, David put it this way. Psalm 37 and verse 37. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Psalm 37, 37. One, another example from the Bible. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. Watch the upright man, how he speaks, how he manages his moods, how consistent is he, how godly is he, how does he shake off the world and follow Christ. Mark him for the end of that man is peace. And if you want that peace, then you need to follow that man. And Philippians three seventeen is telling us the very same thing. Brethren. Be followers together of me and mark them. Look for those spiritual members in the church and follow them. And esteem them highly for their example of the apostles. Then, he's going to stick in a parenthesis that has verses 18 and 19. And he'll take up his thought again in verse 20. Let me show you how that verse 20 follows verse 17. He has said, mark them which walk, so ye have us for an example. Mark those that live like I do, so that you have us apostles as an example of how to live, for our conversation is in heaven. Verse 20. If you want to have your manner of life or your lifestyle or your mindset in heaven, then you need to follow those that follow the apostles. Verses 18 through 19 are telling us about a very different category of person. Verse 18. For many walk. Now look, at he has just said he wants us to walk 
in verse 17 after those that look like the apostles. But now here's a different kind of a walk. Here's a different kind of a life. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Every church will always have these kind of members. They are either reprobate, unregenerate, false professors, or they are carnal Christians. Depending on which category we were to think about for a moment, we would prescribe different judgments for them from the Word of God. The reprobate, unregenerate, will be destroyed in the lake of fire. The carnal Christian is going to be destroyed in this life. Like many at the church at Corinth, who had abused the Lord's Supper, and so the Bible tells us many were weak, sickly, and many slept, even in the church at Corinth. But within these parentheses, we have a contrast with the apostle. Paul said, I count all things loss. I count all things but dung for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. These people can't let go of the world. They're talking about earthly things all the time. Their pursuit is earthly things. Their thoughts are earthly things. And so what does the Bible call them? Belly worshipers. By belly, as a synecdoche for their body, he uses a figure of speech pointing out all they care about are their bodily appetites, which are centered in the belly. Because we talk about someone filling their belly with something. And these people fill their bellies with the world because they have no real love of Christ. And the apostle calls them enemies of the cross of Christ, for they are enemies of true religion. True religion is to live for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to despise the world. But these love the world, and thus, whether they profess it or not, and they'll never tell you, They despise the cross of Christ. Many. Many. Does that grieve you to read the apostles say about the good church of the Philippians, many walk this way. And it's always been true and it will be true. False professors come in. Sometimes they're reprobates and they have no wedding garment on at all. And many times they're just lazy, carnal Christians. Many walk. It should grieve us. David said, rivers of waters run down my face because they keep not thy law. In Ezekiel chapter 9, God called seven angels to him in the city of Jerusalem. One of those angels had an inkhorn by his side and six angels he told to take their slaughter weapons. Weapons of slaughter. He told the angel with the inkhorn to go through the city of Jerusalem and mark every man on his forehead from that inkhorn that grieved for the abominations being done in Jerusalem. Then he told the six angels with slaughter weapons, go through the city, kill man, woman, and child, everyone you meet that doesn't have that mark on his forehead, and start in the house of the Lord, and lay it waste and defile it with dead bodies. Fill it with dead bodies. And do you know who got the mark on their forehead? Those who sighed and grieved for the abominations being done in the house of God. Many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. It caused Paul 
weeping tears. And it should cause us great grief when we see any brother or sister not living all out for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Of course, they would never tell you that, but it doesn't matter what they tell you, and it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter if they've been baptized. It doesn't matter if they make it to the Lord's table with us. The Lord knows them that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. The Lord knows that. It was true in the church at Philippi. It's true in this church, and it will always be true in every church. He says four things about these belly worship, these enemies of the cross of Christ in verse 19 whose end is destruction, you will never get away with rejecting the Lord of glory. Right. I laugh at you. I laugh with my Savior. Though grieved for those who stand up in rebellion against Him, I laugh because God will have the last laugh over you. Right. And 99% of the time, we will get to see it in this life before the next life, whose end is destruction. That is just a simple fact. If you do not want to make the Lord Jesus Christ the chief aim of your life, your end is destruction, whose God is their belly, I've already explained that, whose glory is in their shame. It is amazing to find one of these carnal Christians and talk to them. They get so excited about things that ought to cause them shame and confusion. They get excited about the things of this life. They can babble on and on about the things of this life, about the things they put in their belly, that they wear on their back, that they drive to and from their homes, whose glory is in their shame. The things they glory in and get excited about, they should be ashamed of. Who mind earthly things. Do you want to know what a belly worshiper is? It's this simple. They mind earthly things. We have been called to leave this world. We are strangers and pilgrims here. The things this world has to offer are not enough for us. Our mindset should not be filled with the things of this world, but with the things of another world. And so we come to verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. It's different from the mindset of these carnal Christians or these unregenerate reprobates. Our conversation, the apostles, is in heaven. And if we're following apostles, or if we're following men, women that live like the apostles, then our conversation will be in heaven. What does our conversation mean? It doesn't mean we talk about heaven. It doesn't mean we sing about heaven directly. Those things would be included. It means that our lifestyle is based on heaven. We live with an eye to eternity. We live in light of the fact that we shall give an account of ourselves before God. We live like that. Our conversation, meaning our lifestyle, our manner of living, our mindset is based on heaven. From whence, that is from heaven, also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Real Christians are very interested in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ come back. They're not interested so much in a new job, a better job, a new wife, a better house, the things of this world. They don't mind earthly things. They are looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come from heaven. You have a flesh that despises the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body is subject to lusts of the flesh instead of love of the Lord. Therefore, it is a war that we are in every day of our lives to stir up our mind that we will have our mind in heavenly places. 
That's why the apostle told us in Colossians, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Your affections are your choice. You have a body that wants to love the things of this world. You have a mind, if you're a born-again child of God, that loves the things of heaven. And it is your choice to put the one over the other. And you must do that. And we must do it every day. And we must help each other to do it every day. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's He going to do for us? Is He worth living all out for? Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body? These carnal Christians were belly worshippers. They cared the most about their body. The belly being synecdoche, or part of the body for the whole body. That's what they cared about. They worshipped their belly. Everything they could do to satisfy their lusts and to please themselves. But we know that he's going to change this vile body, so why waste any time on it? Do the necessary to keep it alive and serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your mind. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. There's another reason that we should be willing to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and count all things but loss to know him. How's he going to make a change like that? How's he going to take our vile body and make it a glorious body like his? According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Lord Jesus Christ has all power in heaven and in earth. And he is going to take all of his enemies and make them his footstool. And he is going to have sufficient power to take your decrepit body, your vile body that is full of the lust of the flesh, and change it into his glorious body. He has that kind of power because he's the high king of heaven. He is the blessed and only potentate. A potentate is one with power. And he's the blessed and only potentate with power. He's going to change our bodies. He's coming for us. For that reason, we ought to live for him. The contrast is right here. Paul or a belly worshiper? What is Paul? All things do not matter to me except that I win Jesus Christ. What's a belly worshiper? They mind earthly things. They think about earthly things. They talk about earthly things. They pursue earthly things. That's the contrast. You have before you life and death. You have before you salvation and destruction. What will you choose? We have a new year upon us. Will you be like the Apostle Paul? Or will you be like these belly worshippers? May God have mercy on your souls and on mine. And may we make the obvious choice. May we say with Paul, the love of Christ constraineth me. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And henceforth we ought to live unto him that loved us and gave himself for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. If the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come in your lifetime, many of you are racing toward it. I say that as a fool because we're all racing toward it. We shall meet him soon enough. Are you a belly worshiper? What do you mind? What does your mind think about? Does it think about losing everything for Jesus Christ? Does it count all things lost and dumb? That it might know him. That it might know the fellowship of his sufferings. That it might win him. Do you press forward for the prize of God's high calling? Or are you pressing forward for other prizes that this world offers? The choice is before us all. The new year is upon us. May God bless us. 
to seek and pursue Jesus Christ as if we were running a race and we knew that only one gets the prize as our brother Paul ran his race. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.